We're still looking at the book of Revelation, and now we're in Revelation chapter 6. If you'll turn there with me, we'll, we'll be looking at the whole chapter here, um, bits and pieces as, as we go along as well. And uh, the book of Revelation, I don't think there's any more appropriate book at the time of Advent than to talk about the things that happened right before the second coming of our Lord. Uh, John was given the privilege to see um, the human future and human destiny. He, he's being shown the last days here as an encouragement in his own time for churches. And we can take encouragement from it in our time here uh, as, as, as a church as we look forward to what Christ is going to do. Because he is coming back and that's the promise of scripture. And we hold on to that with not with fear as some people view Revelation with fear, but with great hope. So let's look at this. Beginning at chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And out came another horse, bright red, and its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth, so that people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And behold, I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hands, and I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures say, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. <clears throat> when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the, the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's, that rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. They were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. Then they were given a white robe, they were each given a white robe, and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell on the earth as, fig trees, as a fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, the great ones, and the generals, and the rich, and the powerful, and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Let's pray. Lord, 
We just ask for a blessing on the reading and the hearing of your word. Father, let it go forth and not return void. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. When we look at the book of Revelation, we wonder why, um, and we wonder even now in our lives, why all this suffering and evil continue on in the world today. I mean, we, we see all the problems that are happening in various places. We, we see the devastation of wildfires. I don't know if you saw the news, but there was a fire on Pilot Knob uh, last night. And uh, it was causing some problems there in, in, the, in the state park. I don't know if anybody was hurt, but thank goodness they weren't. Or the events of evil that happened last weekend at, in, at, at Waukesha, Wisconsin where a man with um, anger and rage filled in his heart and probably fear trying to escape the police plows his vehicle through a crowd of, of innocent bystanders and a pr going to a Christmas parade of all places. Or why you know, such evils continue on um, in various places. The church is being persecuted in many places. I mean, just a few years ago, we, we've talked about this, how um, the ISIS caliphate was burning Syrian Christians in cages. You know, Syria was pretty much the birthplace of, of uh, Paul's uh, mission to, to the church, to, to the Gentiles. That, that, that it, was, it was there that he began his, his, his missionary journey. So that, that became the base for his journeys to go out and spread the gospel throughout the Roman Empire. The earliest Christians there in Syria being persecuted and killed. Or in places like China, and even right now in Myanmar, uh, there, there's a lot of oppression going on in the world, not just against Christians, but against various, uh, various forms of oppression going on. Why do these things continue? Why do they go on? How can God be a good God and allow these things to continue? Well, the good news is, is that God is not going to allow these things to continue. And it's actually His grace and His mercy that are allowing these things to continue. Why? Because he is waiting for the number of believers to come about. God has some number in mind. It's never been revealed to us. But he has some number in mind of how many believers have to come to him before he says, all right, it's time for the divine rescue. I look at the book of Revelation, and, and we've talked about this in, in the first sermon. Um, I don't think it's all futurist. I don't think it's all historical. I don't think it's all idealist. What I mean is, I don't think all of the book of Revelation takes place just before his second coming. Some of it does, but some, not all of it. I think some of it um, is historical, but not all of it's historical. Some of it's prophetic, too, and, and about Jesus' coming. And I believe that, that some of it is idealist, although and the term idealist means it's all symbolic. There is a lot of symbolism, um, but it's not all symbolic. I, I believe that Jesus is coming back, literally, to reign a thousand years. <laughs> the, the key to understanding these things is context, 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 like we said before. You know, there's the immediate context. There's the context of the Gospels, because we're talking about Jesus Christ. There's the context of the Old Testament that we have to understand, because a lot of the symbolism comes from the Old Testament. And then John's own um, current um, existence, the history that's going on around him. The church was under persecution by the Roman Empire, and the Roman Empire was worshipped as 
a great god, or, or, or in particular, Caesar was worshipped as a god. And that plays in, into all this as well. John is on the Isle of Patmos because he was testifying for Jesus Christ and refused to recant. He was viewed as, as, as a threat to the empire, so he's exiled on the Isle of Patmos and is receiving this vision from Christ because of that. So you've got those contexts going on at the same time. And if we um, understand that, if we hold those things in tension, we can understand the book of Revelation. And I think these first six seals are, represent not just the time right before the end, but I think all of human history from the time of Christ's first coming until the end is in view here. And that what we're seeing is a full-on display of human suffering. But it doesn't begin with human suffering. It begins with the first seal being opened. And on that, on that uh, first seal, or in that first seal, it talks about a white horse. And the one sitting on that horse has a crown. And he's carrying a bow, and, he, a bow, and he's called forth. And he has the power to conquer. I think that's an image of Jesus Christ. Everywhere else that a white horse is mentioned in the book of Revelation, it's Jesus Christ on the white horse. Anywhere, anywhere in the whole Bible, the word white represents purity and, 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 and God's um, holiness and His righteousness. And I think this has to do with the fact that, that the gospel has come and it has gone throughout all the earth. And it, and it really has. I mean... We've come a long way from the missionary journeys of Paul where he traveled by ship to Macedonia and Greece and Turkey and probably spent months on the sea in a relatively small area. <laughs> I mean, Billy Graham knew what he was doing when he started doing radio broadcasts and then he moved to TV because that, that was innovative. It was transforming. The gospel went out all over the world. And now... With the internet, you can access the gospel anytime, anywhere, any place that, that you have a Wi-Fi connection or even a cellular connection. And it, you don't just have to wait for a TV broadcast to come on or a radio broadcast. You can, you can get on the World Wide Web and see the gospel and, and hear the gospel. And it conquered the world. You know, um, if you think about it, with, with the first 300 years of Christianity, what happens? There's persecution after persecution after persecution. Then all of a sudden, Constantine becomes the emperor. And he puts forth the act, uh, an act of toleration for the Christians. And within that, that few short years, once persecution ended, Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire without firing a shot, <laughs> without any war happening. The gospel conquered the known world. It took hold in Europe and spread um, through the Middle East and then, then um, here to the United States as, as colonization began. The gospel has been carried throughout the whole... But, but, but you know, the, the kingdom of, of, of God has, has conquered the hearts of people in many places and many lands. It has gone forth just like this, this conquering horse. So I think that this is talking about the span of human history from the time of Christ until, until the very end. Now, we know what these other writers represent. It, it, it's no mystery because it tells us what they represent. The angel opens the second seal, and it says there's a red horse who was permitted to take 
um, peace from the whole earth. How many wars and rumors of wars have we had since the time of Christ? Supposedly, um, human, hum, the human race is on this evolutionary upward um, change where we're getting higher and higher and better and better. But I would argue against that because the 20th century was the bloodiest century in human history as far as wars go. And the 21st century is shaping up to be the same thing, even more so. But the Bible says, um, and, and it says this, that um, where evil increased, grace increased all the more. <laughs> as evil increases, God's grace and His, His mercy and His kingdom are increasing at the same time. So we can take hope in that. But wars and rumors of wars have been going on for, for the centuries. Jesus talks about that in Matthew 24. He, he tells His disciples, the disciples ask Him a question, what are the signs of your coming? And Jesus' answer to that question is, do not be deceived. <laughs> In other words, don't, be don't look for signs is what Jesus' response is to that. Now Jesus doesn't, doesn't often give a direct response, but that's what, it, that's what he implies. He says, there will be wars and rivers of wars, earthquakes in various places, there will be suffering. He says, but the end is not yet. <laughs> I think this is, again, talking about the span of human history from the coming of Christ until the very end. But war is, is one, of the, one of the great um, pieces of human suffering in the world. Some people look at these six seals as being all about God's wrath. I don't think so either. I, I don't think God is out there causing wars to happen. There, there, there were times where, where God told Israel, I'm giving you this promised land, and if you'll allow me to go forth, if, if you'll trust in me, I'll help you defeat them. It was God who fought those battles for them. But God is not, not the one who, who, who starts wars on earth. It, it's, it's human beings. This is the full display of human suffering in the world. The third seal. I heard the third living creature say, Come. And behold, a black horse, and it, its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures say, A quarter of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the, and the wine. In those days, a denarius represented a day's wages. In other words, you worked a full day just for one grain of wheat. <laughs> For a quarter of wheat, it says here. For one quarter of wheat. You work a whole day for a quarter of wheat. That's talking about economic problems. Now, you carry you, you, the scales you had in the marketplace to weigh out things. This has to do with poverty and, and or famine. Some, some say famine. I think it has more to do with, with the idea of oppression. Because most poverty in the world is happening because of economic oppression. It's not just because of, of famine, although that, that is a cause. It's not just a cause, not, not some of these, always these natural causes, but it's because of governments not helping their people get what they need, where the fat cats are taking in all the, all, all the resources and, and the people have nothing. 
And I think that's what that represents. This is the human suffering of poverty, but it's human suffering that humans inflict on others. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death. And Hades followed with him. Now the King James Version will say hell. Um, we have to understand the difference. Um, I, I don't think when, when um, Martin Luther translated the German Bible, and the King James Version was based mainly on the German Bible, I don't think he understood the difference between hell and Hades. Um, since then we've had more Bible research and more language research. The word here, Hades, simply means the grave. The realm of the dead. So I don't think this is necessarily talking about judgment yet, but it's talking about death and the grave. Death would continue on from the time of Christ's coming, and even though his gospel is going forth and conquering people's hearts, all this display of human suffering is going to continue on at the same time. And so death has authority over a fourth of the earth. I'm not going to speculate whether that number is literal or symbolic, but, but death has been a fact of, of human suffering you know, even before Christ came. But again, we're talking about what's happening in human history from the time of Christ in John's own time and, and, and the end. All of these things have, have, have been a part of human history and, and, and continue to be part of human history until Jesus comes back. But now the fifth seal is open. And I think this is the turning point in this sad story of, of, of human suffering. It says this, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. And they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. There's still a lot of people who are dying for the testimony of Jesus Christ in many places, as we were just talking about. There are still a lot of people who, who, who face this kind of persecution. I, I, I think that Christians are continually being marginalized even here in our country. I don't, think, I don't think we've suffered like some of the other countries have. And I hesitate to use the word persecution for what we're going through. But I would say that we're at least being slowly marginalized in society. Even among, even if you're looking at political culture, people, people are looking to their, their, the government for their solutions. And, and, and I'm not just talking about Democrat or Republican, I'm saying both. Government in general. <laughs> people are looking to them and Christians are being continually, slowly marginalized, pushed out of the public square and public debate. When what really needs to happen is there needs to be a wholesale revival in our country. And not just a revival of morality, but of people giving their hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. It's not just about moral goodness or moral badness. 
but it's about the one who can forgive and heal our moral badness and give us moral goodness. Because that only comes from Him, folks. And it only comes when we surrender our hearts and lives to Him. And I say this is a turning point because it says that this is the fifth seal. Five is a symbolic number. It means grace in the Bible. Anytime you see the number five, it's often associated with God's rescue plan. I don't think it's a coincidence. Because here, here, here are these saints under the altar. Notice that they have been martyred. They were killed because of their testimony in Christ. And yet, where are they? They're in heaven, below the altar, before the altar of God, crying out to Him for justice. Crying out to Him to bring an end to all of this suffering and evil in the world. Calling out to Him to, to bring an end to all this. And so... The angel comes and comforts them and gives them white robes of righteousness because of their testimony, their willingness to suffer and die for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they're told to just rest a little bit longer until the number of believers comes about. And not just believers, but those who are willing to die for their testimony for Jesus Christ. Jesus tells us over and over again, in the Bible, that, that having the truth and proclaiming the truth means that you are going to suffer rejection. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are you when, you, when, when people revile you and persecute you and insult you. For such they did to the prophets of the Old Testament. Rejoice and be glad, he says, when you're persecuted. Why? Because we have the truth and we know that Christ is coming back in all of His glory. People don't want to hear the truth. They want to continue living their lives as, as, if, as if there is no God and yet they want to cry out to God when they get into trouble. But if we believe in Jesus Christ and we hold to Him in our hearts, the promise isn't a rescue for our own physical lives, the promise is, that is, is an eternity in Jesus Christ. Because if we truly stand for Him and we stand for His truth, we're going to face opposition, we're going to face persecution, and perhaps even martyrdom. And I, I think a, a lot of people here have a hard time with that. And I, and I would say even believers have a hard time with that idea um, in, in general. And I think they even have such a hard time with that idea too. That, that they came up with this idea that, um, okay, well there must be something because we're not supposed to suffer God's wrath. Something that happens before all this where we're whisked, out, whisked away out of the world. And that's the term, the rapture. But let's be honest about what the rapture is. The rapture is a secret coming of Jesus apart from the second coming of Christ, where he sneaks into the world and rescues believers before all the really bad stuff happens. And that's been the number one doctrine over the last 100 years, probably a little bit longer, probably more like 150, within the church, especially the American church. It's not, it's not taught much anywhere else, but in particular the American church. And it came through guys... Like um, in Scotland, there was a revival under J.N. Darby. Some of you have heard the Darby Bible. 
Um, some of you um, have heard of, of Dwight O. Moody. He was a great evangelist, loved the Lord, preached his heart out to people, um, especially in, in, in the city of Chicago. He, he, he led a revival in Chicago. But he supported the idea of, of this uh, rapture as well, the, the, this secret coming of Jesus of the church, apart from his second coming where he rescues believers out of the world. Dwight O. Moody preached that. C.I. Schofield, the Schofield Family Reference Bible. All through that, he's got the, what, what we call the dispensations, where um, God operated in this way and this way in, in, during this time period, and in another way during this time period. And he says that Israel and the church are separate entities, and the church is going to disappear from the world before the really bad stuff happens, and then Israel is going to be the focus again. Well, I agree that Israel is going to be the focus again, but not, not without God's church and without his saints. In John 17, the high priestly prayer, Jesus prays this. He says, um, I pray now for my disciples. I do not pray that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Now, if you don't, you know, one of the rules of Bible study says that you shouldn't bring other verses to bear on the context. So let me talk about the context here. We're not supposed to uh, look at the end of the book, but turn to Revelation chapter 20 if you would. You know, you've got... Um, when, you, when, you, when you've got a novel and a story, you like to read the whole novel and the story before you go to the end. But in this book, in this drama, we know what the end is. We know that Jesus Christ is victorious and reigns on the earth and no one can stop him, not even the designs of the beast and the false prophet. Um, we know the end of the story. Jesus wins. And this is what... It, so we, I have no problem turning to the end of the book of Revelation, chapter 20, because we, we know the story. And look at uh, uh, chapter 20, verse 4. It says... Uh, Verse 4, Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image, and had not received its mark on their foreheads. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. In other words, the first resurrection are those who meet with Christ at, at, at the end of history here when he returns and begins his thousand-year reign. The second resurrection happens when the great white throne judgment comes about. The rapture is a pre-pre-resurrection. <laughs> But here at the end, it says the first resurrection. So, you know, when the rapture happens, you can say, Pastor, I told you so. <laughs> but I don't think it bears out with the rest of Scripture. And I don't think, as a separate, separate coming of Jesus from his, from his second coming, I, I, I don't put much stock in it. And um, I hope that, that you look to Jesus Christ for your hope and your salvation. It's a doctrine of escape. The rapture is a doctrine of escapism, and I don't think we're, we're called to that. But I will say this is what happens. 
The fifth seal is the turning point because, why? Because of the prayers of the saints calling out to God for His justice. And God hears the prayers of His people. In the midst of all this human suffering that, that is happening, our prayers are heard by God. In the last chapter, it says that, um, in chapter 5 of, of Revelation, the previous chapter, it said that these, the, the elders of the church held incense that were the prayers of the people in these golden bowls. And that says to me that our prayers are precious to God, and He holds them. And when the time is right, He is going to bring an end to all suffering, all of our injustice, all of our pain, all of our sorrow. And so what happens is, in this sixth seal that comes up, this is God acting on His promises, but also on the sweet prayers of His saints, who He holds dear, even those who are persecuted for their testimony. He says this in verse 12, When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell on the earth, as fig trees sheds its winter fruit, when shaken by a gale, and the sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up. In other words, that which is beyond this world is going to be revealed. And the sky is going to be rolled up peeling back the layer, and we're going to see what reality looks like. And every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, and the great ones, and the generals, and the rich, and the powerful, and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. And for the great day of their wrath has come upon us, and who can stand? All those who dwell on the earth is a reference to the godless world. Those who have rejected God, those who have rejected Christ, who have perpetrated evil and wickedness on the earth, their end is coming. And it's going to come in a great climatic way. And when that sky rolls back, and this image of heaven is open, and the one on the throne appears and, and his wrath appears and, and his lamb appears people are going to fall on their faces and try to hide from them and try to escape and they won't be able to but that is, re is a reference to the end of wickedness and of evil and of judgment on those who have refused to give their hearts and lives to Jesus Christ And even though it may mean suffering and death for me to stand you know, before people and tell them about Jesus Christ, I'd rather have that and, and, and appear in heaven in, in, in God's glory and in His blissfulness and in His love and grace and mercy and comfort than to have to stand before Him when that sixth seal comes and try to hide myself from His glory because of my sinfulness and because I had rejected Him. The question at the beginning that I asked is still relevant here. Are you on the winning team today? <laughs> and I think we also need to be able to take comfort in the fact that God hears our prayers in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our trials, in the midst of all that we go through. 
we know that this is temporary. It's not worth comparing to what we'll see in heaven, as we've talked about in chapters 4 and 5. The suffering we go through here is temporary, and, and, and it's fleeting. But all suffering should drive us to the throne of Christ and to prayer. And God hears the prayers of His, of his saints, and He will not allow suffering and evil to go on forever. He is going to do something about it. And, and this sixth seal is not the end of the story. We've still got more to go with the sixth seal and, and with the seventh. But God is not going to allow our suffering to go on forever. He's going to bring an end to wickedness and strife and evil in this world. And He's going to do it in a climatic way. So do you have faith in Christ today? Do you trust in Him? Is all your hope in Him? Is all your comfort in Him? We can take comfort in Him knowing that we have the truth and that if we remain faithful to Him, whatever suffering we may be going through, He'll reward us with the crown of life and the robe of righteousness. Let's stand.